Welcome back to another episode of the Huxley Morton podcast, the show where each week we speak to pharma company owners and industry leaders sharing their stories of personal and professional growth. As always, I am joined by my co-host, Adam Walker, uh, and today we are going to be speaking with freelance clinical project management professional, Megan Hefner. Uh, Megan, you and I connected so, so long ago. Um, I guess the, the first question before asking you to give us a bit of an intro, I mean, just how have you been? Been really good, busy, mm-hmm. <laughs> as you would expect with the industry just kind of taking off after COVID and things starting to open back up. So between balancing personal life and professional life, there's very little free time. <laughs> sure. Well, if you could perhaps give us a quick intro as to, to your role, because I think when you and I first spoke, you were a director at um, a small biotech slash CRO, I believe. But if you can give us, a, uh, I guess, our audience a quick overview as to who you are, what you do, um, I guess a bit of an intro for Adam as well. So, yeah, Adam is great is to meet you, Megan, on. as well. An independent biometrics expert, just as, as a quick oh, intro for, for you guys. Interesting. Uh, nice to meet you as well, Adam. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's been quite a while since we connected, as you mentioned. A um, little bit of background. So I am a freelance project manager. Um, I do own my own consulting company and um, basically present myself as, as an end-to-end operations person. So if you needed help literally with anything across the spectrum of running a clinical trial from startup to finish, I could be your girl. Mm-hmm. Um, so right now, just kind of working through some bigger projects, um, special, specializing in rare disease and oncology hematology studies. So very complex protocols, um, you know, large patient samples, um, global, global studies, multiple studies, things like that. So mm-hmm. um, a little bit of background about me. I've uh, been in the industry for approximately 15 years, started um, as an undergraduate student, always knew that I wanted to do research, just wasn't quite sure what type of research I wanted to get into. And so um, just kind of started at the bottom, worked my way up. Um, as you mentioned, when we connected originally, I was the director of clinical operations um, at Casimir, which is a small biotech that specializes in uh, pediatric rare diseases and outcome measure development. And um, that was really um, a deep dive into, you know, complex protocols and global trials for me. And it really, um, it really also opened the door to patient advocacy and the, you know, the need in the industry to really have real world evidence and having the patient's voice be heard. Mm-hmm. Um, I've carried that with me. It's, it's, you know, it's so profound once you get into those discussions and you meet with parents and you understand, you know, their dire need and, and just to facilitate these conversations and to let the industry know exactly where we are lacking in providing therapeutics or any sort of benefit um, to patients who are truly suffering and really just want to feel normal and happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really, you know, use that as a, as a tool and, and let that be my guiding light towards everything that I've done since then. And one thing that I've really held on to closely, you know, as I move through all of the projects is I always try to take a step back um, and ask, you know, how does this affect the patient? How does this affect um, the outcome of the study? And if we lose this patient, what are we looking at here? You know, what value? And, and at the end of the day, the value to clinical trials are your patients. You know, without them, we're not going anywhere. The, 100%. The comes, you know, we come to a screeching halt and, and you know, that's not progress. We're not moving forward. We're not doing anything to, to benefit the industry or, or the patients at all. So um, so that's really where I stand firm in my convictions is, is, is patience. How can I support the patients? Fantastic. Well, look, clearly you are very, very passionate about it. Um, I don't know if you even took a breath there. Um, so, um, you clearly like what you do and are, yeah, very verbal about that. And I I think that must come from the the, the sense that like Adam, who has been one of our few guests who have chosen to get into this field, you had kind of that clear plan that you wanted to get into research. Wasn't necessarily sure what path, but that's kind of, um, what you had mapped out I mean was there is there perhaps any particular reason um for that that interest I mean Adam if you could perhaps give us a a quick over a recap of of your background and how you got into it and then um yeah Megan it'd be good to hear it's very similar to your story Megan actually and and I've done lots of work in and around rare diseases so that really resonated as soon as you were saying that to me I think if you have a passion for this industry and you are passionate about helping patients and outcomes best outcomes 
at some point you will come into contact with rare disease and it's very difficult to get out of rare disease once you've been involved because of that patient interaction but also the pediatric interest that whether you're a parent or not i am mm -hmm. you cannot help but want to help others and and i hear that immediately as you're as you're describing it your face lit up you know you you genuinely you're genuinely talking talking to the choir thank you it's it is something that i'm highly passionate about if it's not i can't say it's my number one passion in life <laughs> i have to be i have to admit that you know straight out um i do have children i'm a mother um and they obviously are my number one priority and it you know i had the passion before i had kids but there was there was a wall up that was there you know dividing you know, personal life and professional life. And, and I always thought that I was going to maintain that, um, that there would be a clear, you know, divisibility between the two. Um, but at the end of the day, there's no reason to have that up. You know, we share these personal, we share our own personal experiences, whether we are the parent of a child with rare disease or whether we're the parent of a child who's neurotypical or non-neurotypical or, or they're just, you know, completely normal children. It, you know, I don't think we can, we can specifically say that 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 everyone fits into that category and that's okay and that's you know that's one thing that that i really you know strive to work on with when i was at casimir was just letting them know like we're here we support you we understand what you're going through so what you know in in enabling those conversations and opening the door um, to facilitating the industry the industry need of those conversations and understanding what these parents want them to hear and what they want us to collect during these trials what's important to them what is important to their child um, it's essential. It's essential to getting drugs to market. Is, is there a common thread there, um, Megan? So when you're speaking to these parents, um, you know, with um, the, the children with rare diseases, is there something like a typical phrase or saying that comes up time and time again? From the parents' perspective or from, from my perspective? From the parents' perspective that, that you perhaps have dealt with um, over your time. Yeah, I think the common phrase that I hear is, um, you know, most likely is they just don't understand. They don't understand the gravity of, of living through this with this child. They don't understand how much effort and energy and output it takes to get, you know, their child just through day-to-day -day tasks, simple tasks, getting up out of bed, eating breakfast, taking a bath, um, putting on their own shoes. Even, you know, and, and it just builds and escalates into situations where, you know, they're, they're not doing well at school or they're, you know, not able to make friends the right way or, you know, however, you know, whatever that neurotypical pathway looks like, mm. it's not, it's not normal for them. It's not built the same way that, that it's intended to be. And that's okay. And I think that that's the main focus with, with these types of studies and, and having these discussions is letting them know that it's okay to be different and it's okay to have a different path. But at mm -hmm. the end of the day, whatever path you take, they all equal the same thing. We're all working towards the same goal and that's to save lives and to provide options to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. and, and to be clear, it's hard enough being a parent when you don't have yes. those additional challenges. And, and yes. I think you, you also mentioned earlier around the real world evidence piece. That's something of particular interest to me as well. You know, electronic patient recorded outcomes, for example, but just mm -hmm. anecdotal evidence that differentiates those rare disease patients from whatever normal might be. You know, mm -hmm. neurotypical, as you mentioned, but, but as we say, you know, nothing, nothing is mainstream anymore. And, and there are no mainstream conversations. And I think what you've touched on really is the fact that it, it, it just is such a hard, it's such a hard thing being a parent anyway, without mm -hmm. having this overlay of challenge, the therapeutic challenges that you might have day to day, just in functioning and getting your child out the door or engaging with education or eating, sleeping, those day to day things we all take for granted. That's right. Absolutely. No, I guess to, to follow on from that as, as well, Megan, I guess, you know, you've come across that response over and over uh, and clearly you're very passionate about what you do. What does it then feel like um, to you and what does it mean to you when you hear about, you know, a bit of a, a success story or you get that feedback that you have 
made a difference? Because I'm always interested because I don't necessarily work in clinical trials myself. So I just want to almost understand how that feels from, from your perspective and what it means to you. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. It's a fantastic feeling. And it, you know, I can't say that, that that feeling changes regarding, you know, how, what the outcome is a small outcome is an outcome, you know, and that's the way that we look at it. It's small steps. It takes baby steps to get to the end goal. And without those baby steps, you're not going to meet that end goal. So it's, it's extremely important to follow the path as it's, as it's laid out in front of you. And, mm -hmm. but even just hearing, you know, from parents that something is as little as, they took one bite independently using a fork or a spoon, you know, it might not look the same way as you or I or our children, you know, eating or drinking and, you know, taking that bite with, with using the spoon, but just seeing and hearing the impact that that one single thing had on the parent is huge. It's mm. profound, you know, it is earth shattering for them and you can't help but just relish and enjoy in what you are hearing. You know, I don't necessarily have the, I, I can't take credit for that. I can't take credit for, for what's happening, you know, out there. Like all of the credit goes back to the parents because they are the ones who are on the front lines who are, you know, going through the therapies. They're the ones who are encouraging their kids to do more and to keep doing more and to keep trying things and you know, it's important that their verse, that their voice and their experience is heard. Mm. Wow. Yeah. I, as I say, look, I'm always interested to hear that one. I think, um, Adam, if you recall, when we had Ian White um, on the show and talking about his experiences and the yeah. feedback that he's had from, I think on his occasion, it was from the children where he had helped to save their mum's life um, oh. and, you know, almost brought a tear to his eye, didn't it, Adam? On, on I seem, the show. I seem to remember incredible. you. He had some he had some um, some information behind him, didn't he, on the desk behind him on the bookcase that was referring to a thank you letter or whatever. I'm, I'm just curious also, Megan, just following up on that point with regards to, you know, rare diseases for our broader audience. What does rare disease mean to you? Because I think I understand what rare disease is, but I think for a broader audience, mm -hmm. it would be helpful just to kind of qualify that that statement, really. Sure. So rare diseases are classified as anything um, mainly genetic or congenital in nature um, that could or could not be fatal, um, but typically does not have any uh, therapeutic, um, any sort of therapeutic value or investment on the market. So you're looking at things that, um, that are just basic therapies in nature. So, you know, behavioral therapies, modifications, things like that, but, but nothing that really prolongs their life or improves the, con the conditions of their life. Mm -hmm. a, I think it's a great summary. Thank you. Thank you. I just wanted to clarify that just for, just for our audience, because as I say, you know, there are many, there are many therapies out there, but actually these are marginal, really so marginal, the changes. And, and, and you also mentioned about the patient advocacy and how important that is to share information with other parents and other, other carers of, of children and people with, with profound life-changing diseases. Yeah. And I, I remember when, when we first connected, we spoke about Casimir and, and the focus on, on the rare diseases there. And I believe it was the, the founders, um, I think it was one of their children that had um, a rare disease, if I recall correctly. So I can see why that would have driven them to start that business uh, and to go down that route. Has there been any, I guess, personal draw for you to, to get into any of the areas that you have got into? Um, again, just to understand where, where this energy, where this motivation comes from because if you could bottle it and sell it uh, across you know to others Megan you'd be making a fortune <laughs> I wish I could that would make my <laughs> life a lot easier <laughs> um yes I do have a personal connection to the work that I do um I've always been really driven by the fact that I, I want to help people no matter how that looks you know um I am the person who will go out of your out of my way to make sure that you have everything that you could 
ever desire in your life, you know, and, and I really look at my work in the same way. And so whether it is a rare disease study or whether it's an oncology study where I'm not face-to-face with patients, I Mm. still exercise those values and make sure that, that I'm upholding my end of the bargain as I, as I call it. Um, but, you know, all the way from the beginning, when, you know, when I entered school and even before then as a child, I frequently would, you know, tell my mom that, you know, I started out telling her that I wanted to be a coroner. And I think I was six at the time that I told her that. And you could imagine the look on her face when she's like, I mean, that's great, but let's yeah, let's talk more about that. You know, like, do you know what that means? And, and at the time I did surprisingly know what it meant, but you know, she really, she really grabbed onto that and nurtured that dream to want to be helpful. And Mm. when, you know, when it turned into, and, and it was easily recognizable that, that I was going into the science or medicine field, um, it became quite evident to both of us that that research was really the right place to be for, for was, myself. Was she one of your mentors then um, in the early days? I would have to say yes. Um, and I think anyone would agree with that. You know, my mom is, is very driven. She's very passionate. She's a school teacher. She's been teaching for about 30 years now, mm-hmm. um, also in the scientific field. So I think that's where, that's where I get it from. Um, but she, you know, she's always been, um, she's always been the cheerleader, but she's been the cheerleader from behind the scenes, meaning that, you know, she understands that there's complexities and there's challenges to meeting these goals. And she never, you know, she never encouraged us to do anything that was unrealistic in nature. You know, we always had those humbling conversations and those, you know, come to Jesus moments where we're like, yes, or no, I, maybe I shot too far, you know, (laughs) maybe I'm a little over ambitious. And, and I think that that's, that's where a lot of my energy comes from too, is that, you know, I finally at at my age now, I understand exactly where she was coming from and, and the type of nurturing that she was providing. And, you know, and to this day, it's, when I get assigned to it, to an interesting study or something that I'm very excited and passionate about, she's the first person that I call to tell because she truly understands where this where this excitement is coming from mm. um, I, li- I like that I mean I'm I'm pretty close with my mum you know she tunes into the pod this podcast um she often confesses awesome. that she does she doesn't know what half the people are talking about but she still <laughs> she will still tune in and say oh I like this bit or I like that person for this reason so look, to have someone like that on your on your side is um amazing even if they're not necessarily from, from that field yeah. um, I've been really blessed um, to have great mentors. Um, you know, even as an undergraduate, I had great mentors. Growing up, I had great mentors. Undergraduate, graduate, I had great mentors. Um, you know, my, the founders and co-founder of, of Casimir are fantastic mentors uh, for the rare disease community and really just in life. You know, I, I look up to them so much and I've, you know, I've had the opportunity to meet and have conversations with a lot of people throughout the industry that, those, I mean, even if it's just 10 minutes, those conversations have been so meaningful and that connection is so meaningful, um, you know, just to, just to let people know and to share in the excitement that I have about the industry and the progression of the industry and what we're doing. And, um, and I really hope that, that, I, that that's not just one-sided, you know. Mm. You're, you're not on your own. I mean, there are many people that share that drive and enthusiasm for this industry. We seem to be talking to many of them like you, Megan. Right. And, and, and the passion with which you describe that is, is, so, is so evident in, in everything that you're saying, actually. You know, it, it's very clear. And I think anyone that was working with you would probably feel that energy from you quite clearly. Thank you. Thank you. Now, just to, uh, I guess, perhaps rewind for a moment before we come on to, yeah, what you're up to now and, and the day-to-day row, etc. Um, I often have so many entry-level folks trying to, to reach out to me to explain how to get into the industry, et cetera, et cetera. Look, you are no longer that person, but you've been there. So how yeah. did your role look in the early days compared to, to what you're doing now? Because I guess that as a, as a sort of a PM, you manage things from startup to close out. It's cross-functional. You're dealing with different teams. You're that kind of central point that everything gets channeled through. Um, did you specialize in a particular area to start with how how did your journey go to get to to where you are now because again particularly with that the freelance piece 
you have to almost be confident in your own abilities to go out there and kind of be, I mean, you're, you're self-employed, you're, you know, you're running your own business. There's a lot more to it. Um, and I know from speaking to Adam that you really do need to back yourself. So how have you gone from that, that, that entry level person to, to where you are now? If you talk, talk us through the process, because uh, there's loads of people looking to do what, what you've done. Sure, sure. Um, you know, one thing that I would highly encourage anyone who wants to do it is to take that entry level role. It, it might not be appealing, you know, I mean, in any way at all. You look at the job description and you're like, oh, wow, I'm a, I'm a glorified paper pusher at this point. <laughs> you know, I'm just an executive assistant. Take that role because the, you know, the likelihood of you being assigned to a person um, like myself, you know, a senior project manager or a project director or an associate director or someone like that, you're going to build a wealth of knowledge by just being around those people. You know, be the fly on the wall in those meetings. Take the minutes. Make sure that you understand what's happening. Ask the questions that you have. Do you, you remember know, your first role? What 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 was the, the the title? I'm assuming it wasn't actually titled um, paper push or anything like that. But um, do do you remember it and how many applications you went through, Megan? Sure. So my first role in the industry um, was, I think, now defined as a project specialist, which um, at the time was at a research institution. So we were labeled as research um, assistants. Mm -hmm. And um, I thought going into the role, like, here I am, I've hit the big time. I'm a research assistant and RA. I was floating that around to my community <laughs> and my mentors and, you know, just thinking like, oh yeah, I've made it. Um, and I did exactly what I just described. I was the one who filed documents in the TMF. I was the one who um, followed up for meeting minutes and agendas and things like that. I was the one who, um, you know, asked for different things and, and made sure that my project manager um, had exactly everything that she needed and that meetings were set up, that people were making, you know, hitting due dates and things like that. Um, I loved it, honestly. Mm -hmm. It was fantastic. Um, I gained so much knowledge in those two years of being an RA that really set me up for the success that I've experienced so far. Mm -hmm. um, it's a long road, you know, and I think anyone that's gotten to this point in the industry or really if you're starting out at five years in the industry, that five years can seem like such a long time, you know, to get to where you are. Mm -hmm. But if I could, you know, again, I stand by just saying, take the entry level job because you will gain so much knowledge from that. And it just, it continually builds. And even to this day, you know, as being labeled as a project director or, or having those fancier titles doesn't necessarily guarantee that you have all the answers and that's okay. You know, mm. every role that you are in, in this industry is a learning opportunity and an experience. And if you don't see it that way and you don't take it that way, then you're really just hurting yourself. Sure. No, I think that's um, solid advice. I think, yeah, to get in, you just, you, you, you've got to jump at the opportunities, haven't you? Um, mm -hmm. And look, how have things now changed? You've been, you've been through that and I'm sure it wasn't all yeah, it wasn't all sunny days every day. Talk us through the challenges that you faced along the way. Um, you know, because often when I, I speak to people, there could be self-doubt, you know, imposter syndrome as you rise up the, the ranks. Talk us through, uh, I guess, those things and give us an overview of, of how things now, now look present day. Yeah, so first starting out, I mean, I think that you nailed it by saying, you know, having imposter, imposter syndrome. And, and that's something that, that the industry is really hot. It's a hot topic right now, you know, with, with everybody jumping roles or changing roles and things like that. It's, I think everyone experiences that no matter what level you are at. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's definitely something that, that I, I have not managed to avoid. And, and I actually appreciate going through that experience, taking on a new role or onboarding, you know, with a new contractor, you know, however you want to look at it. If you have that experience of imposter syndrome, where you have to take a step back and really, you know, kind of calm yourself and rethink how you got here. Um, it's a humbling experience, but it's also such a profound growth experience. You know, it really... <laughs> 
reassures you that you've you've made it and you've you know you really are valued in this industry you're valued in your position and i think that the golden thing to look at anytime you get a job offer is that you got a job offer you know you did something right you stood out amongst all of these other people there's something significant and valuable about what you are offering and bringing to the table and that's not something to be ignored I think that's such a big thing. I was just about to say, you know, or ask you, you know, what your biggest tip with dealing with that would be. But I would mirror that. I think you just have to. It, some people are so bad at taking compliments. They always try to find the negative in something that's positive. Oh, you, I got that off job offer, but I'm sure there wasn't many applicants or I got that job offer. But, you know, whatever it is, it's just like. No, ignore all of that BS outside it and just accept that you've done something good and take it for what it is. So, um, yeah, I think we're spot on, spot on with that. Yeah, just celebrate those victories, no matter how small or large they are. It's it's worth celebrating. It's worth to be, you know, it's worth being happy and excited over and, and really any role that you move through um, as you're trying to work up the ranks. And, and I think it's important too to also acknowledge that not everyone is is um, working towards the same goal in terms of, of role or, you know, whatever status they're looking for in the industry. Mm. Some people are perfectly fine with being a project specialist. You know, they're contributing to the overall outcome of that study. And that's not to be looked over. You're not irrelevant, you know, because your name isn't on a document or you didn't sign this sheet of paper. That doesn't mean anything. You're still helping the team and you're still helping the industry, you know? And I think that that's, that's discouraging to a lot of people. And it was discouraging to me at first too, because of course, coming out of, of any sort of academic institution, if you're looking to go, going into research, that's one of the first things they tell you is, is they just cram publication down your throat. You know, how quickly can you publish? And, and that's what everybody is working towards. And that's a good goal, but it's not the goal. You know, mm-hmm. and, and I think that as an industry overall, especially now, we're really losing sight of what that true goal is. And we're losing sight of, of the notion that that we're all one, you know, we're all one entity. We're working towards the same thing. Is it a competition? Kind of in the sense of the word. But at the end of the day, is it really a competition for the right reason? You know, I mean, we're competing to get a drug to market why don't we just partner up and get it there? Mm. Isn't isn't that what we've seen in COVID times though, isn't it? It's taking the competitive element out of it as being the competitive element is the human race. Okay, so we're all in this together. So let's just get there as quick as we possibly can, crunch our heads together and come up with something smart with a load of solutions and make it work. And, you know, thank goodness we're in a better place than we were a couple of years ago because exactly to your point, that's what people have done. They've worked together smarter, faster, sharper to, you know, really push the needle forward in a whole different way than we've ever done before in clinical research, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah. I would agree completely. Yeah. No, I guess that's one of the, the positive changes that has come off the back of, of COVID. Um, I guess the other is just that sheer amount of opportunity out mm-hmm. there for anyone in you know working in this space whether it's full-time employees contracts um staff like um and freelancers like the um both of you how would you say that differs i guess look so you know you've both previously been in positions where you've you've been high level high performing hiring teams um yourself you're now kind of um a freelancer and it the buck stops with you, Megan. And I know that Adam often talks about this himself. How has that changed? What has that taught you about yourself? Um, I think it's taught me resilience, <laughs> to be honest. Um, it does, you know, it starts and it stops with me. I am the company. <laughs> mm. I am the person. I am the coordinator, I'm the project specialist, I'm the project manager, I'm potentially your biostats person, I'm your regulatory consultant, you know, it's, it's across the board end to end and in the true sense of the meaning. And Mm. so, you know, I think that 
that it transitioned for me um, as an opportunity over COVID because I was really starting to lose sight of why I was in the industry. And that was really unfortunate, but it gave me an opportunity to really take a step back and say, you know, how am I valuable? Why do people want to hire me? Because Mm -hmm. at the time, you know, between um, Casimir and being in that director of ClinOps position and starting, you know, my own consultancy firm, I, I was able to realize that, that I offer value, whether I'm tied to an organization or not, you know, and so you don't have to have that tie to be able to contribute to, to something that you're so passionate about. And I liked the opportunity of being able to work cross-functionally and to work with a lot of different types of people and studies and um, companies at the same time. You know, mm-hmm. why limit yourself if you don't have to? <laughs> Definitely. Sorry, Adam, I'll let you jump jump in now. I was going to say, as you're describing that, it, it just, it resonated so loudly. You, you use the word resilience, but also it's about taking some responsibility for your own actions, isn't it? But as you're describing your own skill set, there are many people and individuals that we've interviewed on the pod, James, um, that that I think could could so wholeheartedly do with the skills that you're describing, but also have had similar entries into self-employment and freelancing as you've described. What's what's the blueprint for that, you two? Uh, because <laughs> look, I guess that I'm 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 now running or owning a, a business. For me, again, it was kind of, I got drawn into it because I was a top performer where I was previously. I had people asking me to, to kind of set up the business. It was, it was almost an easy option, um, if anything. How is it when you, you're, you know, you're in a senior director kind of role, what's that blueprint for success to make that transition? Because I'm sure there's, a, I, again, I, I get a lot of people that, you know, I approach them about roles and they're like, oh, is this W2, is it 1099? I, I want to go freelance, but some of them, I'm just, I, I speak to them. I'm like, I, I don't think it's for you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I'm quite, I'm quite, it sounds brutal, but I'm quite honest. I'm just like, I don't necessarily think that you've got the right mindset to, to go down that route. And that's just me giving quite frank advice based on all of the, the people that I speak to day in, day out. So, but from your perspective, people that have, have done it, what would you say is, is that blueprint for success transferring over Megan I'll let you go first and then I've got my thoughts on it as well but I'd love to hear what you've got to say first yeah I wish there was a blueprint to success to be honest (laughs) I think that would make everyone there's no cheat sheet not at all there's there's no cheat sheet unfortunately and and speaking of cheat sheets you know I think you ultimately as you transition through the industry and if you're looking at at going freelance and really you know taking it to to a consultancy level or starting your own business or just applying yourself as a 1099 employee, you know, you kind of build your own cheat sheet over time. And you start to, you know, as you work your way up, um, you know, even if you come from a senior director position, again, like I said before, you don't have all the answers and you really don't know unless you freelance before what that, what that experience is going to be like, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, you have to sell yourself. You have to have that confidence. You have to have that flair to get through the door. You know, um, sometimes that's packed with with a CV loaded with fancy titles and degrees, and and that you know initially opens the door. But once you're in there, you have to ask yourself the question: How am I going to sell this? Because getting through the door is just step one. That might be the hardest part, but the second hardest part of that it transitions into how do I make this mine? You know, why, why do they want me? Why do they want to keep me? And that's really where all of the confidence and the experience that you've gained over time starts to play out, you know? And and dare I say, following on from that, Megan, I I couldn't agree with you more, but also it's the value of your experience. Now, James, when you're, when you're opening doors on behalf of candidates, sometimes some clients will say, well, we want 10 years experience or five years experience. The point I think I've made to you before is it's not about the number of years. It's what you've done in that time. You could be doing the same thing for 10 years. You've got no experience. Or you could literally be pushing the bar every single day of that five years 
and be a hundred times better than that person that's been doing the same job for 10 years. So absolutely, absolutely. It's, I have this it's conversation a with all the time and it's, yeah. it is exactly that, isn't it? It's like, just because you've been doing it for, for 10 years doesn't mean you're any good. You know, yeah. Not there's, at all. there's certain things that I've been, been doing for many years and I suck at them, you know, so. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I I've think, had... the... go, go on, Megan, sorry. Sorry to interrupt you. You know, I've had several directors that have been over me and bosses and so on and so forth that I've sat in conversations with them and they tell me things and I, you know, I leave thinking, what, what just happened? <laughs> what did we talk about? What was, was that productive? Because it didn't seem productive. That could have been an email. You know, that's like the end thought was that could have been an email. Thank you. Um, but, you know, and those are the types of things that you start to recognize, especially when you do transition into a freelance position is you're like, wow, you know, I'm this person now, but you lose that, that edge of, of, I don't want to say cockiness, but, but that's essentially what it is. You know, when you carry a title like that, you, you have this, you know, this aura that you present out there and it, and it's all based around that title. Like we value ourselves and our self-value doesn't come from the title. It comes from what you have to offer and it, how you offer that. It, exactly to that. And as a consultant, I'm, this is what I, constantly remind myself of is if someone is paying for my service every day every hour I will show value for every second of every day so that at mm -hmm. the end of that day that week that month they're in no doubt why they're paying my invoice for my time and I do that every single time I engage with a person an email a contact it's always about showing value, demonstrating value in every single opportunity. Even something as simple as keeping your screen on when you're on a Zoom call and showing visual engagement. To me, that seems to be a very basic thing, but I work with plenty of permanent-based people who never turn their camera on. Well, how on earth do I know if they're even paying attention? Unless I hear them retaining and you know returning comments, I can't see that level of engagement. But I know that if my camera's on, they're going to see me and they're going to sh they're going to sure feel me in that virtual room as much as if I were in a physical room with them. And mm -hmm. I, I mean, that's that's what I do on a very on, on a daily basis, because that's the way that I overcome that imposter syndrome as well mm -hmm. to overcome and be present and be visible and be engaged. I think it's so critical and it's something that many people don't have to to your point megan you know there are plenty of people with fancy job titles who just can't engage or won't engage yeah and and i think it's it's just a different skill set you know i mean yeah there there's an obvious skill set that you need to be able to to do clinical research or to work in any of these titles but at the same time like just being alive requires a certain amount of skill sets as well. <laughs> you know, engaging with people requires a certain amount of skill sets and sensitivities that frankly, we're lacking now. And a big part of that is because we have transitioned from being face-to-face -face into this virtual world that we don't know. And we're just really getting to figure out like just the step, you know, the, the stepping point of figuring out how to be in this industry and how to be in this world in a remote setting, you know, and I think that keeping your camera on is such a little thing and I'm guilty of, of not doing that all the time but frankly, sometimes I take calls at six o'clock in the morning and guys, I got three toddlers like I got cereal in my hair. There's probably yogurt somewhere on me. You don't want to see that, but I'm still engaged. And I actively, you know, I'm active in the conversation and I'm active in the chat and I'm giving thumbs up and I'm letting them know I'm here. I'm listening. I hear you. I understand what you're saying. And, and I'm contributing to this conversation. You know, I'm, you're not just wasting, you're not wasting money. You're not wasting time. And and essentially, that's what we really need to get back to is, is that feeling of humanization again. You know, it's like, I'm, I'm a human. I'm being, you know, show me the amount of respect that I'm showing you by, by simply being a part of this call and engaging with you. Um, you know, the least that you can do is acknowledge that, that you're here and that you're actively participating. Absolutely love that. And yeah, I, I can relate to that. I've often had my 
toddler axel in the background either banging at my office windows or jumping on calls wanting to tap my keyboard i mean kind of certainly with with internal meetings i just i just bring him on i just bring him on now he's become part of our zoom calls at times or teams calls but yeah i I think you're absolutely spot on it's just realizing that we are all human you know we've all got home lives um you know, as much as we're passionate about what we do, there is life outside work. You are not your job title. You are not what you do for, for a living. We're all individuals. Um, but look, before we perhaps come on to your plans moving forward, I'd be interested to know, because again, it's been so long um, since uh, we first connected. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't even know about this freelance um, side <laughs> of your life. Um, so what would you say has been the biggest success story you've had since setting up your your LLC and, and venturing into this world because it's an exciting time right I remember when I you know filed for you know the company names sorted out websites and things there was loads of almost shit that I was just like oh my god I just did not know that I needed yeah. to sort this out bank accounts and all you know everything what what has been the biggest success story that you've had um today I, I love a yeah I love a good news story Megan <laughs> So I, this is a great news story and it's how I truly define my success personally. Um, I probably shouldn't say this out loud because I don't want it to have a continual negative effect on my business, but I, I've been freelancing for less than six months. Now, granted, I have, you know, 15 years of industry experience behind me on that, but I'm, I'm at a point where I am having to turn down work because I simply do not have the bandwidth and I do not have the time to take on those, those contracts and that type of work as simple as it might be. And as, you know, as endearing as it might be, I want to do it all. You know, Mm. I think that's evident. (laughs) I will bite off way more than I can chew at any opportunity just because I want to do it. And how do you deal with that? Because Adam, I know you also have this struggle almost where you are, it's an inner struggle good at what you do you're in demand you love what you do how do you both go about turning it down because it's I guess it's tough and there's that freelancer mentality but I want to do it all so how how do you how do you deal with that I I tell you I tell you my mindset around that is really uh, trying to make hay while the sun shines because I don't think the sun will always shine and I have been out of work several times and been made redundant as you're aware so I never take anything for granted in that respect and will always try and if I can do it I will do it but I will never under deliver and over promise and I'm sure Megan that's where you're finding yourself because it's a it's the curse of success isn't it once once the work starts flowing your name gets out there your professional network starts expanding people know that you're available to do ad hoc work those ad hoc requests come in more and more, don't they? And then you become this kind of go-to person or could you just do this? And then this becomes a little (laughs) bit bigger. And before you know it, you've created a monster. And it's a really, really tough place to be because there are only so many hours in the day. And my kids aren't young anymore, thankfully. But I know how challenging it was when they were very young. and, And I didn't have any flexibility in my time. I'm fortunate now that I have a very supportive wife and... And also, you know, my kids don't take that much handholding anymore. But I think I'm sensing that might not quite be the case for you. At the I was going to say, did you free free toddlers? Did you say, Megan? I have three, three, three. Yes. How on earth do you juggle this? This is ridiculous. I don't super know, mom. you guys. Super mum. <laughs> It's challenging. It's challenging. Um, I'm not one to sit around, though. That's the thing: is that my mind never stops. I work even when I am asleep. Now, let me explain that to you <laughs> because people are like, wait a minute, how, how does that even happen? My, I cannot shut my brain off. There's, there's just no way. And so even when I am with my family and we have that one-on-one time, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm still thinking about how can I re-stratify this group? What's gonna, how can we pivot this study to save the outcome measure? What can we do you know, to push this contract through faster and kind of picking apart the pieces behind the scenes. 
but it's that type of critical and, and analytical thinking that gets you to the finish line. You know, um, it, it's not over consuming for me and it, it enables me to be present, wholly present um, when I am not actively working, but it definitely also allows an opportunity for me to, to just see things from a different way. You know, when you take a step back and you're not in front of your computer and you're not just shooting off emails really quick and you're checking the boxes on your priorities, it, it really opens the door for better negotiations, for getting things to the finish line, for meeting those timelines and, and enabling them to, to do what they really hired you to do. Um, yeah, it's not easy with three toddlers at all. <laughs> I can... I can... I can imagine, as I say, I've, I've got one and that is tough enough. And yeah, I run the business with my partner, Lucy. So it's, yeah, you know, uh, I feel for you. I feel for I, you there. I use them as, as a, like, they're truly a motivation though. And I, I think a lot of people see it that way, but because I work from home, you know, I'm surrounded by all of my things all of the time. And so I'm constantly reminded as I'm stepping over action figures and dirty clothes and, you know, whatever <laughs> just happens to be in my path at the time. Um, it's a constant reminder to me why I do what I do from two different perspectives. Number one, I'm contributing to something that is so beneficial to so many families and children across the world. You know, it's not just localized, it's across the world. And at the end of the day, I have something and I'm creating something that hopefully engages my children in whatever path they decide to choose in life. But at least I'm setting up the framework to enable them to, if they want to go into this industry, which I would absolutely love, <laughs> but don't know if that's in the cards for them. You know, I'm, I'm letting them know and I'm, I'm, you know, setting that pathway to success for them to let them know that, that you're not limited in, in your dreams. Essentially, this was my dream ever since I was a little girl. And now my kids are that age and they're starting to have dreams of their own for what their adult life is going to look like. And and I've worked so hard to get to this point. Why turn back now? You know, mm -hmm. it's challenging, yeah. but at the end of the day, it's, it, so, it doesn't consume me. So. so what is, what is next for yourself then, uh, Megan? It seems like it's been a whirlwind since um, you and I first spoke. Um, yeah. What's, what's next? Is it just to continue to build, you know, your own brand, build on that network, keep putting yourself out there. Uh, I'm sure now that you've been on, our podcast you're going to be a face everywhere by the way um <laughs> you know, is that is that the plan or is it to you know expand perhaps take on other people and, and kind of build or build a company what's what's the plan for yourself yeah so that's the overall dream is to build it out and start you know bringing on people who are not necessarily like-minded but really just want to break into the industry in a freelance way you know, it's, it's not my position. I'm not the type of person to dictate how someone manages their time or, or, you know, their studies and things like that. But what I can offer them is mentorship and experience mm -hmm. across the board, you know, and that's something ultimately that I would love to see build out for my consultancy firm is that, you know, we have this group of people that are so highly passionate in what we're doing that we will go above and beyond to make your dreams come true. Essentially, you know, we'll do whatever it takes. Um, right now, you know, it's just me, which is, is fantastic. I love managing myself, um, makes it, <laughs> makes it so much easier, right. When it's just yeah. a one woman show, um, <laughs> but I am also working, um, in the background on my PhD and hopefully I can meet the end goal for that as well. And, and really get, get some conversations sparked amongst an industry that's in dire need of just drop that in by the way just drop that in I'm i know just, just I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking, while i'm hanging out the bit the bins how how on earth do we find these people adam like, i'm just oh thinking my God. i'm just thinking megan i don't know if you've seen our episode with um vidya maharaj she yeah. is juggling a restaurant business and vp i think she's now kind of part owner of regenerative medicine and I, me and Adam were just like, and you've got kids as well. We was just like, how, how do you do this? Um, as yeah, I say, yeah, if you can bottle that yeah. energy, get that on a subscription online because it is worth selling. Yeah, um, I mean, no, no offense to you guys, but it's really a woman's work. You know, I mean, it's, we were created to do this. We balance and wear so many hats. 
all the time. It doesn't matter if you don't have kids. It doesn't matter if you're not a PhD candidate. It doesn't matter if you're not a freelancer, you don't own your own business. You know, as a woman, we continually balance so much and we do it so well, you know, not to, not to just toot, toot my own horn or anyone else's, but that's, hey, you know, so there's certain things I don't even want to compete on. And that is one of them. I got imposter syndrome about that's that, what, that's for sure. Yeah. That's what my husband keeps telling me. He's like, I have zero interest in being you. You yeah, do, you, you, you know? just keep doing you, Megan. That's exactly, I, I share your husband's thoughts on that one um he'd be a brave man to go up against you i think um, <laughs> but look before we wrap up the show we always close with a bit of a quick fire questions round um sure. and I'll, I'll kick us off you know clearly you wanted you knew that you wanted to go down this route but speaking to your six-year-old self who perhaps wanted to be a coroner or even in your teens what would be the one piece of advice that you would give to your younger self don't sweat the small stuff you know it's it's a, it's not a roadblock. It's a hump in the road, you know, just keep going. Uh, resilience is key. Perseverance is key. If you believe in yourself, then, then prove it, you know, because once you lose that, that reason for doing what you're doing, then you've lost sight of the goal and the goal wasn't there to begin with. Amazing. I like that. I already know the answer to the next the next um the next question I'm going to ask because actually I think you need to write a book Megan by the way oh, but if thank you, you. <laughs> when, when you have written your when you have written your book um are there any other books out there any other resources that you are referring to and, and regularly using because I think you've said so much today that will resonate with so many people yeah so um I am currently reading ADHD 2.0 <laughs> And it's a fantastic book. It's a fantastic reference model for the potential diagnosis of ADHD and ADD in adults mm. uh, that has been consistently overlooked. And I think it's important to recognize that even the most productive and successful people have mental health disorders, whether they um, you know, involve the need for treatment or affect your ability to make it through day-to-day -day life, these things still exist. I am, I'm no exception. You know, I've had a longstanding history of anxiety and I'm upfront about that. I, I get very anxious all of the time. And I think a lot of it stems from my, my internal excitement and how to display that. Um, but at the same time, you know, it, it's important to recognize again, that we're all humans and we're complex and we're dynamic. And it's so hard to navigate just being someone that, that we have to acknowledge that all of these other things exist, you know? Wow, 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 wow. Um, we were talking only yesterday to a, a colleague and friend of mine, a guy called Ed Hearn, and his pod will be going out shortly. We talked to him about ADD and ADHD. He was diagnosed with it in, his 38th year he's now 45 I work with him very very closely and those superpowers that you describe in that book absolutely apply to him and clearly that personal insight that you gained and understand in yourself is pivotal to making the best of your outcomes as well it is it is it's truly you know I there's been several times in my life where I've really had to just take a step back and sometimes that requires me giving up things that I really wanted to do and worked really hard to do and sometimes it requires something as simple as saying no you know whether that be no to taking on more work or no to the to the golden project that you wanted so badly but you just can't do because you don't have the bandwidth and it trickles all the way down to, to feeling confident and, and, and confirm that when you say no, that it doesn't, that doesn't completely shut the door. It just means that at this point in time, it's not feasible for me and that's okay. And, mm. and that comes back to knowing your boundaries, doesn't it? And clearly, you know, your boundaries, you act upon that, you know, what's a go and what's a no. I do. Yeah. Great answer. And it's taken me a so long much. time to get here. <laughs> doesn't it doesn't it and once you're here it, it's never ending you know once you reach that realization that sense of realization and you understand and you accept that this is this is what's happening and you find your mechanisms to to get through it and to cope or you know whatever it need whatever you need to get through that experience you just build on that 
it's never going to stop. It's just going to keep going. And if you don't, if you don't recognize it and, and value yourself enough to give you that self-acknowledgement and affirmation that you can keep pushing forward, then, then at that point in your life, you need to take a step back and say, okay, let's pre let's reprioritize. Like, let me prioritize myself. And that's what you need to do. Prioritize yourself like it well look, megan that the next question from my end look you've been in a position where you had to build teams previously as, as a director uh you may soon be building a consulting firm i've seen you know some great successes along those lines and you have a lot of the traits of, of the, the individuals that have done so but what would you say that the three top values or qualities that you value most in when building a team if you were to list just three Oh, yeah, that's a tough one to narrow down. Um, transparency is one. Um, you know, again, we're all human. Things happen. We should not conform to the standard that you can't live your life and do your work simultaneously. You know, you should, I never want a team member of mine to come to me and feel like they have to lie about why they're taking time off work. If you need an hour just to regroup and to take a breather, then you get an hour to regroup and take and take a breather. You know, don't mm -hmm. don't make excuses for for life. That's that's ridiculous. Um, so transparency is, is one thing. And the transparency then builds into trust, you know, and that's the second really, really key feature that I look for. Can I trust you? And can you trust me? And how do we, mm -hmm. how do we build that trust into this really good working relationship um, where we, where we have the opportunity to be vulnerable and transparent with one another? Um, and the third one is really, is really respect. And, and there's two, two folds to that, you know, I think respect comes with a sense of integrity, whether that be professional or personal integrity. Um, and that's something that that I think is is really dominant when you are presenting yourself, you know, as a freelancer is how can you showcase your integrity, not only from a professional level, but also from a personal level, because I think a lot about you know, what you see in a person's characteristics really speak volumes about who they are as a person and the type of work that they're going to present to you and what that path and that relationship is going to look like. And if that doesn't vibe, it's not going to be a success. Definitely. It's, it's self-filtering that, isn't it? It's just who we are. I, I think, you know, you should be who you are. And some people want to work with you, others may not. And I, you know, I'm never... Uh, put off by that if someone doesn't want to work with me I'm like hey fine in that case it's probably not the best fit it's, it's best for everyone involved so look I, I really agree with that one but over to you Adam thank you um so aside of your family I'm wondering what what else you've got time for uh, along <laughs> alongside your PhD is, is there anything particularly that you favor do, doing outside of work yeah, so I used to run competitively. <laughs> and up until I had kids, I was, you know, pretty avid with running and I try to find as much time as possible with that. But I do enjoy being outdoors. I love traveling. Um, we are warm weather folk here in the in the central United States, which is very ironic because we have some of the worst winters imaginable. But <laughs> as you can imagine, that's probably how we got to being warm weather folks. So we try to take off to tropical locations as much as we can when we have the opportunity. But, you know, with with little people in tow, that's not always easy, but we're hoping that that we can get them immersed in some culture and and really broaden their horizons. So awesome. We can relate to that. Coming from the UK, we are also warm weather folk. Yeah. Get me, in a, get me in a bit of sunshine. I love it. Um, well, look, to, to close the show then, uh, Megan, look, finally, what would you say is your number one golden rule for both life and business if you were to combine the two? Yeah, that's never give up on yourself and never give up on your dreams. You know, it takes a lot of work to, to make to make it, you know, <laughs> I know that's an, a Hollywood phrase that people use when they make it, but, but define, you know, each, each individual path is different and, and your idea of making it is different from my idea of making it. And that's okay. Don't let anyone ever discourage you from, from what your ideal of making it is, whether it's in this industry or another industry, um, you know, whatever your goals are, just continually work towards those and never give up on them. 
don't sweat the small stuff. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Well, look, um, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. You are an absolute bundle of energy, I have to say. <laughs> I'm glad that we managed to get you to turn your volume down a little bit, otherwise you would have blasted <laughs> our audience here. Um, but look, before we let you uh, jump off, look, what, for anyone looking to reach out to you, whether they've got queries about work, um, you know, potential working with, with yourself down the line, what is the best way to get hold of you? Is it LinkedIn? I know that that's how we connected. I think you actually, you actually told me you were out running <laughs> and listened to, to one of our podcasts. So look, is, is LinkedIn the place? LinkedIn is, is definitely the place for a direct contact. Um, that Yeah, that would probably be the best way to get in touch with me. I'm working on, on the consultancy website. So once that's up and running, then LinkedIn will be updated and, and that'll be a, a better form of communication, direct communication with me. But Right now, definitely LinkedIn. Um, I was. I was out running the first time I stumbled upon Huxley Morton. And and I think I shared this with you the last time too. The reason that I was so keen to listen was because it involved my two favorite things. Number one, research. <laughs> and number two, my oldest son's name is Huxley. And I've never come to I've never seen it apart from Huxley Morton. And I was like, I have to figure out what this is. And I was so excited when, when I found out that it was a research-based podcast. And I know that you guys have kind of steered away from that, just bringing in different people. And I love that so much because it shows just how dynamic our industry is. Um, but that was the first thing when I got back, I shared that with my son. I showed it to him because he he's now where he can recognize his name written out. And I was like, look, man, like it's you made it. <laughs> Megan, it's a sign. You follow those signs and you follow those flags. I've always done that in my life. And that's exactly what you've described there. So that's absolutely tremendous. You are an absolute force of nature. And um, I just wanted to thank you uh, also for taking the time today and sharing your story. It's just been awesome, James. Excellent. Yeah, Megala, thanks again for being a part of the Huxley Morton podcast. Um, we'll get you all tagged up. Um, and yeah, can't wait to get this aired.